So the big question is this. How are gigging musicians like us, who don't make any money streaming, who are spending money from our own pockets, how do we treat our music careers as online businesses in a way that lets us get our music and the things we believe in out to the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Jared Judge, and welcome to the Gigging Musician Podcast. Hey, Gigging Musicians, it's Jared Judge, and I have such a treat for you today. I have an interview that we are breaking into three parts with the band leader of the Shirts and Skins Band in Minneapolis, Minnesota, James Gross. His band does over 200 gigs every single year, and he shares his story. So take a listen. This first part talks about his origin story and how he got his start, as well as how he works with booking agents. Super interesting stuff. Hope you get a lot out of it. Uh, I'm James Gross. I own Shirts and Skins Band out of Minneapolis. Uh, we tour the whole United States. Um, been a band for about 16 years. Uh, we currently have about 35 to 40 people on our roster. Um, we do casinos, street dances, weddings, resorts, theme parks, kind of everything. Uh, our average is anywhere between 180 to close to 300 shows a year. Um, we're, we're trying to push it over over the 300 mark, but we've all struggled in the last year with that. So. Oh, for sure. <laughs> awesome. So tell me about yourself, your musical background. How did you get into playing music and why did you want to start a cover band? Um, my musical background is um, right out of high school. I went to college for music. I uh, did that for a couple of years. Um, liked school, but didn't love school. Um, so after a couple of years, I thought I had enough skills from going to music school to move out to the West coast and play in a band. And I did that for multiple years on the West coast, touring up and down the West coast. Um, then I realized that the pay in the West coast was nothing compared to the Midwest. Um, so I moved back, went to school for engineering. And at that point I was going out on the road every summer playing original music and then stopping you know, playing three or four shows that were all original and then stopping in like Bozeman, Montana or Missoula, Montana or Coeur d'Alene, Idaho and playing a cover gig um, to get money to get to the next town. And uh, then I decided it was more painful to play my original with a band that had been on the road for three months, super tight, the best we've ever did it, and then play Sweet Home Alabama and pack the dance floor. So, um, so I reanalyzed, you know, what What's important to me and what was important to me was making a living playing music so I would have enough time to do what I wanted to with music. So I started looking at Billboard and looking at what people were were digging on in the clubs. And then I expanded and went into the wedding scene to look and see what wedding bands were doing and realized if we played songs that everybody knew we could pack the dance floor and that in turn would make me enough on the weekends to have the weekdays to write music and play music and and do that and then it didn't matter if anybody showed up at my shows because i had people at my shows on weekends yeah that's awesome so that sounds like i've heard that story again and again is that you know people writing original music have to find a way to fund that original music so it sounds like it's a similar situation for you yeah and then once you made the realization that you can pack the dance floor and get paid to do it, then that kind of became a little bit more of your thing and yep. you fun- funded your creativity through that. Well, and I think the, the misconception, I think with a lot of people and, and, and I find it with my players too, is for some reason, 
if you're an original artist, it's looked upon that if you're in a cover band, it's just a cover band. And at the end of the day, we're all musicians. And if we, our job really is to make the fan escape from whatever they need to escape from for 90 minutes or three hours. And if they do that and we're able to get them to forget about the troubles that they have at home or the hard stress of their job, that's really a beautiful thing, you know? And, and I think that another thing with the cover band thing is that, and I tell all my players, cause I have lots of players that do original stuff as well, that we get in, we get exposed to, to a hundred thousand people a year. And when somebody comes up to you at, at a cover band show and, and says, man, you're just amazing at guitar there's a fan you can potentially get for your original music because they, they want to connect with you already. So um, as to where you're not going to get a hundred thousand people playing the, playing the small original clubs in a year. Yeah. Um, I don't think people look at stuff like that as to where like, this is an exposure, man, go, go meet fans. You know, fans are in every show, you know? So, um, so that's been kind of, kind of my change was, was coming up with that or realizing that 10 years ago that this, is still a beautiful thing and that you know it's all about the fans at the end of the day yeah that's awesome did you originally have that realization or did it take you some time to figure that out uh it took me some time i mean it's you know it's you know it's as you go and you're playing originals versus covers you know like you're super hugely passionate about what you wrote and you want people to connect to it and it's hugely disappointing when they don't you know and then you play some cover tunes and for me too you know being somebody that's been doing it for 20 years i i worked in my early 20s i was playing guitar you know four to eight hours a day trying to learn to play like the greats like the zeppelins and that some of the early 80s people and now i'm playing pop music a lot of times and i'm playing quarter notes or eighth notes single lines (laughs) you know and it's just like you just got to kind of realize that it is what it is you you got to just kind of evolve with it you know and and at the end of the day if people are dancing and having a good time that's we're performers, you know, we want to perform and have people respond. Yeah, for sure. Sounds like you're in it for the right reasons. Yeah, for sure. Um, when you, when you were touring with your original act, um, and then you got your first cover band or cover show, was, were you called Shirts and Skins then, or was it something else? Um, I kind of started Shirts and Skins. Um, you know, I was in a, in a jam band called Hollabaloo for a long time. Um, and then when I started Shirts and Skins, you know, everybody asked, you know, how did you come up with a name? And it's it's very generic. We we used a band name generator and it <laughs> kicked, out, kicked out 400 names. And then we all circled 10. And then at the time, the five of us that started the band, we looked at it and we're like, oh, I guess the only one we all like is Shirts and Skins. So I guess that's what we're going to do. <laughs> um, and it was one of those things that we wanted something that was generic enough, but fun to where we could get into the corporate world you know, and get into the, you know, and, and that's, you know, really how it just happened. And, and then it just kind of stuck. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's 10 years later and I'm like, wow, I'm still in this band. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a great name. It reminds me of like high school volleyball or something yeah. like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, okay. So you, you started shirts and skins. What was the process like to get shirts and skins first ever paid gig? Um, more, we used agents in the beginning. Um, you know, agencies and, you know, a lot of it was those $500 gigs for a long time, you know, and then it was, you know, what, what is your job as a cover band? You're either, you either try to bridge the party, the party band, which is what the clubs want you to do. They want you to sell drinks. That's what your job is, is to do. And, and if you're not selling drinks, you know, they don't want you. And, 
the only way you sell drinks is if you drink with the crowd when that never leads to anything good, you know? Um, so I think that that was, you know, there was a point where we said, you know, the party is fun, but we can't make a living during the party. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and you can't, when you're, when you drink what you make and you eat what you make and, you know, we all know that clubs don't, you know, there's been no pay increases. Um, you know, and for us, it was really when that 2008, housing market hit crash hit and the bottom just dropped out to where it was before that we were able to make 1200 to $1,500 a night playing the clubs. And it was the bigger, you bring a bigger light show and you can get more money. And then it seemed like the housing market kind of fell out or the economy kind of went down and everybody was trying to play in a band to make an extra $400 on the weekends. Um, so that was the point where we were like, we can't compete with people that are going to play in clubs for nothing because there's always going to be that. And, and we're seeing it right now too, to where, you know, there's, there's bands that have, haven't played for a year and a half that are like, I understand that the restaurants and the bar industries had a big hit. I'll play for 300 bucks. Well, I mean, why, why are we doing, we we're constantly as a, as a community, we're constantly undercutting each other. That right. it's like one of those things that if we'd stop, we don't have a union. Like this is, we have to form something, you know, um, so I think that was the point where we, we had just decided, you know, where's the money? The money is wear a tie and you can go play casinos, wear a tie and you can, you can play a corporate event. Um, weddings are way more fun than a club. There's people already there, you know? So I think that was kind of the, the turning point for us. Awesome. So would you say that that kind of shifted, like once you stopped working with an agency and realized that you could get these gigs yourself? Well, and I, and we do still work with agencies. Um, I think it, for us, for me, it was, why do you lay claim to me as an agent? And, and that whole, why aren't we playing nice together? Like mm-hmm. so many of the agents in around the country, um, they want you to sign these exclusive deals with them and they sign an exclusive deal with you, but yet then you're like, well, why is this Friday open? Like the reason I signed an exclusive deal with you is for you to have my calendar book solid. And mm-hmm. somehow in the last 10 years, especially the agencies, there's no accountability with the agents anymore. It's, Hey, I'm going to sign all these bands and throw them a bone here or there. Um, so with the agencies for us, it's, I would say at agents right now, we, we do about 50 to 60% agency stuff. Um, I do 40 to 50 to myself. I, I have a lot of agents write the contracts up for me because um, I do like having a middleman at points. To where if they're frustrated, they can complain to somebody. If I'm frustrated, I can complain to somebody without us bickering at each other. Um, yeah. But I've also I don't play I don't play with agents that won't play nice with other agents. If they're if they're set on this fifteen percent and they won't split a commission, um, and a lot of stuff when I find leads, I take seven and a half percent and I only give them seven and a half percent. And just say, you know, that we're all playing nice. We're all on the same team. I and mean, if you don't want to be on a, if you don't want to be on a team, like we don't want to play with you. <laughs> you know? right. um, does that kind of make sense a little bit? I think it does. Um, I did want to ask. So for a lot of like the newer musicians who don't have an agency, you clearly use them as part of your group's strategy. Yeah. So I think it's important enough to understand how did you start the relationship with the first agent? Uh, the first one, I mean, we, we went through a lot of bad ones before we found 
the, the, we use extreme talent out of Menominee now. Um, and Lord Hattenfeld is just one of the greatest human beings that there are. Um, you know, he was a, he was a gigging musician for 25 years. So he's, he's an agent that's got the bands back. Um, but there were a lot of them, you know, they signed, you know, we got out of our first contract um, for a breach of contract because the agent didn't have our best interest. And we found them doing shady things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you, the best thing with an agent, if you're going to use an agent is have your, be willing to alter the contract. You don't have to sign their blanket contracts. You know, one of the contracts that I did after I had bad experiences was I added a, a communication breakdown clause to where if you don't respond to my email or phone call within 72 hours, our exclusive contract is voided. Wow. And, and when they, you say that to them, they're like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, we're a team. If a gig comes in and it's a corporate event and it's on a Friday afternoon and it's a $6,000 contract by Saturday, they're looking for somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't want an agent that takes Friday and Saturday off, you know, right. I want one that's at least and today there's no excuse for it. And we all have cell phones. We're all looking at them 80 times a day. Um, you know, so I think that that's, don't be afraid to, and also, you know, right now I, I, we are not signed any contracts. I have handshake deals and, and it's, if you don't trust me, why should I trust you? Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm, I'm not going to go behind your back. Like, you know, this is a small world, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, there's so much there. You, you got to trust who you work with. And, and if you are going to sign an exclusive contract, you know, interview bands that have been with them for 10 years, see if there are any bands that have been with them for 10 years. And then how old is your agent? Because we all know that agents, you know, look at agents in any, any market of anything. It's not an old person's game. Mm-hmm. Like the ones that are, the ones that are in that 30 to 50 range are hungry, you know, as to where, you know, they get, there's a lot of agents where I'm like, man, that dude's 70 years old. Why is he still working? <laughs> like he didn't, he obviously didn't do something right. You know, <laughs> like, sure. I'm not, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not doing this at 70, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping to be sitting on a beach somewhere, you know? Right. So, um, so I think it's, you know, and then if you are going to use an agency, what are they afraid of to do a trial? Give them a 90 day trial. Like let's try a three month trial. And if, if we both feel good about it, then maybe sign a year and, and ask them, you know, are you, are you willing to split commissions with people? Because, there's very few agents that have their own rooms, but there are a few that do have their own rooms and you need to get into those rooms. If that's good for your crowd, you know, there was, there's a lot of casinos around the country that there's certain agencies out of California and Florida that have those casinos. And, you know, if your agent's not willing to split commission and take a seven and a half percent or even a 5% and give the guy that has the room 10, you're never getting into that place. You know, um, I would love to say that I, I think that, uh, that I think that these agents would be gone, but I, I they're just not retiring. <laughs> I mean, I know a few of them where I'm just like, man, this dude's had this room for 30 years, you know, like, yeah. end, you know, for sure. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, I, I understand there's, there's a lot that goes into working with an agent. When, when you first were getting into this game, did you have to like, pitch a whole list of agents to try to find one that bought or that bit at your line or were they coming to you and saying like, I would love to represent you. Um, I think that right. 
right now they are coming. They were coming to us in the beginning. Um, but then I was also surprised because the agency that we, we did sign with right away, you know, for me, I was, I was 24 years old, 25 years old. I had an agent that wanted to sign me for three years and I was just ecstatic to be able to say that for a while, you know, because, you know, a good agency has nationals and, um, but then you realize very quickly that you're not a priority, you're a number, you know, and for every A band they have or every national band they have, they have 10 C bands, you know, that are playing in the trenches for $500 that they don't care. They just want their 75 bucks. So I think that at the end of the day, you know, if you've got a strong contract, I think that there's, there's enough resources out there now, um, you know, to, to make your own contracts. I think that there's, you know, you shouldn't just hand stuff off, especially when you're beginning, you know, if you get, you know, if you get a decent gig, um, then you can do it yourself, do it. Um, but I think also that what an agency does for a band is put some kind of value to them to where, you know, the first time, the first time you get that $2,000 gig, you're ecstatic and can't believe it, but that's relatively a low paying gig. You know, when you get to the, the street dance level or the wedding level, you know, that's, that's when you start getting to the, the four to $8,000 gigs. Um, and there's not much of a difference on selling a 4,000 or $5,000 gig than a $3,000 gig. They're willing to pay it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what people don't understand that, that, and, and I think you can also, we even find it on the weddings. Like it's a hard thing of, of underselling yourself. I've lost in the beginning of weddings. I lost a number of weddings trying to get, stay around that $2,000 mark for a wedding. Well, DJs cost 1200 bucks. You know, I'm, they're getting a band of six, six to eight people. And, and I had multiple weddings that I found out they spent eight grand on their wedding. And I was like, they thought my, my perceived value was less because I didn't know you know, and even though my product is better than what they bought, you know, it's, you know, so it's a hard, it's a hard figure. So I think a lot of times in the beginning, the agencies can help you set a value because you can see who they have and what those price ranges of bands are, Um, you know, kind of a deal. For sure. So that was part one of three of our interview with band leader James Gross of the Shirts and Skins Band. Stay tuned for parts two and three where we dive deeper into his booking process. And if you got any value out of this podcast, make sure to like it, subscribe to it, and join us on the Giggy Musicians Facebook group. And check out BookLivePro.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Gigging Musician Podcast. If you like this episode, then please take a screenshot on your phone and tag me and post on Instagram, letting me know what you liked about this episode and let me know what you would like to hear in future episodes that will help me serve you better. Also, I would love to invite you to my upcoming five-day full-time music challenge. Just give me five short days and I will show you a step-by-step plan to make real consistent income with your music. It's totally free and you can register on fulltimemusicchallenge.com. That's fulltime one word no dash in between fulltimemusicchallenge.com. Thanks again and I hope to see you in my next challenge.